Welcome to the Future Belongs to Creators. I'm your host, Nathan Berry. I'm the CEO at ConvertKit, and I'm joined by my co-host, Barrett Brooks. He's the COO here at ConvertKit, and we're on a mission to help creators earn a living. This show is about turning anxious energy into creative output during times of uncertainty. Welcome to episode 92 of the Future Blogs to Creators. We're back, Barrett and I, giving ourselves an applause for, uh, you know, I don't know, sticking with this so long. Who knows what? But uh, Barrett and I have actually not spoken in like eight days, 10 days. I don't know. It's true. It's been a while. Um, today, we're going to be talking about high leverage activities. But before we do that, Barrett, how are you doing? How was vacation? I am pretty good. Uh, was out on vacation last week. What did we do? I mostly spent it doing childcare because that's what you do yep. uh, as a new-ish parent. Uh, we celebrated Thanksgiving with the five of us in our household. I do all most of the cooking for that. So we did pies and uh, prep on Wednesday and then the turkey and all the sides and everything on Thursday. That was really good. Friday, we got our Christmas tree and all the decorations. Saturday was my son's first birthday. So we celebrated that. And then Sunday, you know, when you move into a house and then for like years, you'll just have those random things that should be hanging on a wall somewhere sitting on the floor. I did the day where I hang up all the things that were sitting on the floor and it made everything feel so much less cluttered. It's beautiful. Walking to my bathroom, there's a shelf now. Walking to my bedroom, our our like photos are on the wall. It's a good feeling. So I decluttered. It has been a festive weekend in the Brooks household. It sounds yes. Like. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm I'm, I'm good. Uh, you know, like you you said that. Well, life lately has been a whole lot of cooking and cleaning and kids and all of that. A lot more than I I normally do. But um, so that's you know one of those things where it's like, wait, am I really doing all the dishes for the fourth time today? Like. Did we, do we produce this many dishes? Turns out when we're doing Thanksgiving and everything else we do. Yep. So yeah, it was, it was a good bit of time off. I'm trying to think we must've just hung out at home. The boys are old enough now that they can play Settlers of Catan. Like mostly they're nine and six. Oliver at nine can totally do it. August at six, you know, they have a great time and Hillary and I practice our patience. Um, and you know, it works out well. But it's good for you. It is. It is. But we had fun. We've also been playing um, Among Us a lot. Uh, and there's a variation of Hide and Seek Among Us that we're playing now. It's way more fun. And it's easier with little kids. So anyway, that's been great fun. We also just did Thanksgiving. The five of us. Yeah, there's five of us. But three of us are under 10 years old. Um, so it's just us at home. Not doing too much, but... Now back at work, it's kind of a slow start to the workday. I was like diving in and it, it takes a little bit to get that going again. So yep. here we are. Yep. It's like, okay, what do I need to do? What happened while I was gone? All of that stuff. But here we are for the podcast. What are we talking about today, Nathan Barry? We are talking about leverage. In particular, how to spend your time for the highest leverage. So I was thinking about when you sit down at your computer on a given day. Like today, on a Monday, you know, you're like, what's for example, for a hypothetical example, um, how do you decide what to work on? You know, there's a bunch of criteria that we could use. What's the most fun? What's the most urgent? What happens to be the tabs that you left open from the week before? You know, what do you have the most energy towards? Those are all 
common ways that I use, but I think I'd like to propose something different. And that's that you think about what has the highest leverage. And so basically what we're starting with is saying, Hey, there's all these activities that you could do in, you know, in your business and they are not all created equal. They're they're not, not all going to produce the same outcome for you. So we've talked about leverage before on the show, but for anyone who doesn't know, I was actually looking up a definition of leverage and they're all terrible. Like they're all the official definitions are like the output from using a lever. And I was like, no, that's now we have to get into what a lever does and all of that. But basically what we mean by leverage is anytime that the outputs are greater than the inputs. So if you put in, you know, five units of work, you get more than five units of reward from it. That could be six, that could be 10, that could be a thousand. Like there's actually a complete disconnect between inputs and outputs. And the famous quote on this is, of course, give me a lever long enough and a place to stand and I will move the earth um, by Archimedes. And this is the thing that you should be looking for everywhere in your creator business. And that's what we want to talk about today. Love it. Uh, question for you. What got you thinking about this topic? Yeah, so I will. I actually started thinking about it uh, this morning when I was like, what is the highest leverage activity that I could be doing <laughs> As we come to the end of the year, you know, for my position in the company, everything else, as I sit down on a Monday morning and I'm like, all right, I'm going to catch up on Slack and Basecamp and all the goings on. And what I realized is, oh, I have to work on 2021 planning. You know, I need to work on making sure that we have a solid strategy for the year. And so uh, that got me on the topic of, okay, this is the highest leverage thing that I could be doing. And I also needed a podcast topic for today. And I realized, oh, these overlap because creators need to be thinking things of things in the same way. Yeah, I definitely think uh, that is true, especially because in the creator kind of life cycle, it is so easy to get lost in uh, what one article we read on this refers to as $10 an hour work. Yes. Um, or no dollar an hour work, even worse. And um, there are so many different things that trick you into thinking that they are valuable when in fact they have no value whatsoever. If we're talking about financial returns and newsflash for anyone listening, if you don't make money as a creator, you can't keep being a creator unless you just want it to be a side project forever, which is perfectly fine. But the point of this show is to talk about earning a full-time living as a creator. And um, if you want that to be th the case, you need to be able to filter, filter through the different ways you could spend your time based on how much money they're likely to return. And one thing we always talk about is not just having one vector you're making a decision on. So this isn't just about how much money can you return, but it's maybe we'd call it like leverage, which is measured in terms of return, financial return to the business with mission would be like how we would talk about it at ConvertKit, right? How much does this enable creators to earn a living and how much will it help the company grow? Those would be the two things we would balance on. So for a creator, maybe it's like, how much time do I spend actually creating stuff plus how much leverage can I create for my business long-term? And so just remembering that we're going to talk in terms of leverage because we think you really need to be considering the financial return to your business so that you can stay in the game longer. But there's always the second factor of whatever else is important to you at the next level. Yeah, and another reason that leverage really matters as an individual creator is that you're trying to do a ton of stuff with limited resources. You know, you're looking at this and you're like, okay, I need to be a video producer, a web designer, a podcast host, a, you know, like you rattle off all of the things 
that if you were working at a magazine or something, you would have one job and there would be eight other people like you who specialize in the different areas. And so as an individual, you're like, okay, I have to do all of these activities that a normal business would do with a team of people as one. So I need leverage to do it. So you might be finding leverage in the tools that you buy and other things, not just how you spend your time. We're going to focus on how you spend your time. But another point that I want to make before we dive into a few different options on spending your time is often the same input or the same activity can have different amounts of leverage depending on how you package it or use it. So for example, just for me, I could do a few different things. Take writing. You and I talk about writing a lot as it can be a very high leverage activity and something that we often were like, okay, I want to carve out more time for writing. And we put a lot of things in that bucket. Now, uh, our friend Matt Ragland recommends a little tool. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. Um, that does a word counter for all of the words that you type in during the day. You know, and so it's not just in whatever writing app, but you know, in Slack and Basecamp and Twitter and everything. Um, and I think that's fascinating because it talks about how much writing that you do. But if I'm sitting out and thinking, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna write. Well, if we look at very low leverage writing, that would be I get an email from someone asking for advice. And I reply to the email with written advice. That's very low leverage. It goes out to one person. I wrote once and I educated once. We have a one-to-one. It's actually a no leverage activity. Medium leverage would be taking that and writing it to share or writing, turning it into a blog post or a newsletter. You know, anything that's going to go out to a lot of people, you know, maybe a hundred people, a thousand, 10,000 people. But what I realized for myself is that the, and that you and I have talked about a lot is the highest leverage activity for me in writing right now is to write a book because then it takes all of this, you know, all of this knowledge and these ideas and packages up in a way that is made to spread, made to be consumed and conveys, you know, it has social proof tied to it, you know, news organizations and TV shows. And they're like, oh, you read it, wrote a book. Great. Come on here and talk about whatever it is. And so that is a very high leverage activity. And so don't just break things down into terms of, you know, oh, writing is a high leverage activity or not, because it's really the type of writing that you do. Yeah, for sure. Um, If this is still feeling a little bit uh, conceptual to people listening, I'll give you a very concrete example of something recently that was probably $100,000 an hour work, if not more. So we've transitioned to kind of like a recruiting first hiring process at ConvertKit. We still have open applications for all of our roles. We want to make sure that we it's still accessible if you want to come to work here and you've like got your eye on the company. But um, we've gone to recruiting first because the bigger we get and the faster we grow and all of that, the more experience it requires to really do jobs well at ConvertKit. And often that means the people who would be best suited to do that work, especially in leadership roles, are probably not looking for work because they're probably deeply engaged in something already. Recruiting emails have a famously bad reputation. I suppose you would call that infamous because they suck most of the time. Number one, they usually come from a person who you don't know, don't trust, doesn't know the role, doesn't know the company well enough. So a recruiter who's external, or maybe even sometimes an internal recruiter who doesn't know the uh, specific needs of the team. And it's just very generic. Or in the worst case, it's just like a crappy blast to a thousand people all at once. Okay. Well, we were recruiting for two leadership roles. Uh, VP of product and a VP of engineering. And we know these are the two highest leverage hires we'll probably make in the next five years, uh, certainly in the next 24 months. And one thing I could do would be go start individually reaching out to people 
one by one, one by one. That would be, I don't know, maybe $100 an hour work, $500 an hour work, something like that. It would be some leverage because it still leads to a higher. But the best thing I could do is to write an email that then creates a process that we can follow across the team to reach out to people consistently. And so I wrote this recruiting email. I don't know. It's like it goes against every recommendation people would say. And they're like pithy little, here's how to write a great recruiting email things. It's long, it's detailed. It gives all of these reasons you shouldn't apply if you don't like the way we operate. And the response rate is fantastic. And what it's allowed us to do is now uh, we still send the emails from you or I, but our assistants are able to research cohorts of people. They run those cohorts of people by us. We personalize each email to just a small section of the email to each individual, and they send them from our accounts, right? And so we know who they're going to. We know why they're going to those people. We know that we personalize the email. They just do the sending of it from us. And that by far has created, like, I can't even say how much leverage that's created for us. And so that's why I say, if we end up with two great hires in those roles and it's looking like we will, that I think is easily a $100,000 email that I wrote in less yeah. than an hour. And so that's the kind of thing where I could have done a bajillion things that, that day. I could have written the same amount of words towards a bunch of stuff that would create zero leverage or near zero leverage, Basecamp, Slack, email, even personal writing. And instead, I took the time to just write the thing and we didn't know it was going to work out that way, right? It was just an attempt at making it work out that way. And uh, it's created all kinds of leverage for us that we'll continue to see returns from over time. So that's a concrete example of the kind of thing we're talking about here from our world, which doesn't necessarily translate directly. So let's get into things that do translate. Yeah. So first I want to share, I was going to save this um, to use as a resource, but you have a really good segue into it. Um, and this is an article from our friend Kay from Rad Reads on the magic of doing $10,000 per hour work. And the article dives into more detail, but he basically breaks this down into four categories of, you know, he calls it the $10,000 an hour work matrix. And you have high leverage activities and low leverage, and then low skill and high skill. And so low skill and low leverage, right? That's the thing that, you know, we all got paid minimum wage to do in high school, Right. You know, that that's me working at Wendy's. It is low skill, low leverage, uh, you know, going from there. If you go low leverage, high skill, that's a very highly paid attorney, right? That's it's, it's a ton of skill, a ton of knowledge, schooling, everything else, but it's actually still low leverage work, but you could build that out at $1,000 an hour, a, a physician or someone, right? Very, very high skill work, but they're working on one patient at a time, you know, and so that is low leverage work, though they, you know, hire physicians, assistants, nurses, and plenty of other people to increase that leverage, but you're still in that category. There's plenty of low skill, high leverage work, but the quadrant that we're talking about is the high skill, high leverage. And that's where you take something, right? Where you apply your copywriting skills to write a recruiting email. And then you use that not only to at scale to reach more people, but you also use it uh, to recruit a really high leverage role. You know, there's also plenty of things where if you start early on, this work that you do is going to pay off really slowly. You're not going to get, you know, when you write the, this email, you actually haven't made any money from writing that email yet as far as, and then the business hasn't made any money from it. And so your, your return on investment that you're looking for is actually two years down the road, kind of minimum, right? Because you have to 
get a great person, convince them to take the job. They have to get up to speed on, you know, working with the company. Then they have to, you know, implement their strategies, lead accordingly. And we're looking a long ways down the road. So one thing to find about this high skill, high leverage work is that it's going to have a long time to pay off in the same way that any writing that you're doing, YouTube videos that you're putting out, any of these leveraged activities are going to take a long time to pay off. Yep. Yep. Okay. So let's get into um, some examples for creators here about the kinds of things that would apply. I'll use one, which is we'll, we'll carry the writing one forward. So you talked about kind of the difference between replying to a single email versus writing a blog post or newsletter versus writing a book. I think that's a really great um, kind of framework. I'm going to do a horizontal version of that. So if you take just a newsletter, right? The first version would be you just write a newsletter every week to everyone on your list and it goes out consistently. You know, maybe your list grows a little bit, but not a ton. The second version would be you start a paid newsletter and that's very popular these days, right? And you write that every week, same thing. And now you're just getting paid for it. So obviously you get, well, maybe you get more leverage depending on how fast your audience was growing before with the free newsletter. And then the third version would be, and this is an example of what I'm doing, which doesn't make it perfect, but is writing an evergreen paid newsletter so that now when someone joins my newsletter, they're going to start at the beginning. So someone who joins my newsletter this week, I've already got four weeks of content queued up for them. And I've got a group of 28 people who are at the very leading edge of this thing, who are going to get every new one as it comes out. That creates a ton of leverage because now I can go sell that repeatedly and I just need to keep reading one, writing one thing a week, but everyone who joins from now until forever is going to have all this content lined out for them that's equally applicable regardless of when they join. That's an example of creating leverage. An even better version of this would be creating a product that stands alone that is evergreen over time. Maybe it requires updating every few years. This is similar to the way that you sold products before where you had a course on designing web applications, for example. And that was a thing you could sell repeatedly for high amounts of money where you got all of this leverage from it, hundreds of thousands of dollars of leverage from creating this thing. And if you divided that by the number of hours you spent creating it, that's the kind of $10,000 an hour work that Kay was talking about. Yeah, exactly. And so it's building systems uh, that work for you. And we should do a whole episode sometime on transitioning from like the content hamster wheel that a paid newsletter could be to this flywheel that's working for you. Um, Mm -hmm. And so you'll see people do it uh, with automations a lot of times. You know, what is that task that you're doing repeatedly over and over again? You can go off the deep end of trying to like optimize and automate too many things for sure. But some of those high level things of like, okay, instead of doing the newsletter in real time, I'm going to automate it and build that system over time. Or I'm going to, you know, write three or four great sales emails in the rest of my automations that will promote the paid newsletter, will promote the, you know, the course or the downloadable product or whatever else. Like that's very high leverage work. One that I want to talk about is relationships. We're talking in terms of how, okay, how do I get more viewers? How do I get the audience? But a lot of times, some of the highest leverage activities is making friends and building relationships. Maybe the highest leverage time I ever got on a plane was for the World Domination Summit in 2012 because of the number of people that I met and like the serendipity that, and everything that came from that. Yeah. And so I think everyone hears that of like, you know, uh, there's, you know, phrases of like your network is your net worth. And it's like, okay, I get with it. It sounds a little cliche. They're right. It's also, you know, 
an odd phrase, but when you hear something like that, then it's like, okay, I should be networking. I should be meeting people. And for me, that brings up ideas of like handing out business cards at like a, a chamber of commerce event, um, which I did do. Turns out that's not the best way to grow a business. But in 2008, I didn't know better. Um, and so today we might look and be like, okay, well, I need to build relationships. So let me do that on Twitter. And so that's a great place to build relationships. But what you'll quickly find is that there's a big difference between consuming everyone's content on Twitter, which is what we all do by default, and actually creating things and engaging in a way that builds a relationship and you know makes people trust you and and you know turns those things in, into friendships that are actually going to make a difference. And so I would be really really deliberate when you're putting some anything into the category of building relationships because yes, it is one of the highest leverage activities you can do and it is so easy to waste time with and kid yourself about whether or not you're actually doing something uh, productive. Yeah. And I think that always goes back to like relationships for what, mm -hmm. you know, and really making sure you, uh, if you're doing something like spending time on Twitter under the guise of building relationships, well, why do you want relationships? You know, what is the goal of those relationships? You know, one goal might be to have a peer group of people who are earning a lit, like earning a full-time healthy living as a creator. That would be a really powerful thing mm -hmm. probably to spend time on. And so when you look at like the leverage of a chamber of commerce event for, as a, as an example versus world domination summit, you're also talking about the signal to noise ratio of the people in the room. You know, you go to a chamber of commerce event and the commonality is that the people there have registered businesses in the state of Idaho yep. or something like that, or in the city of Boise. And that could be the cupcake shop and the lawyer and like all of these things. And you're really, really relying on a truly serendipitous occasion to meet the right kind of person there. You know, what are you really looking for? And uh, whereas World Domination Summit was founded on shared values on a certain type of person showing up to the same place. And so for the work that you and I were doing at the time, there was a high signal ratio for the kinds of people that were there at that point in time. And that signal ratio changed over time as people started floating away from that conference and there were fewer of them that showed up. But that our goal at the time was to meet other full-time creators and other people like us trying to do things like us so that we could learn from them and form long-term relationships, which would accelerate our own progress. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think that's really what everyone's looking for in relationships from a business perspective is what are the relationships that can accelerate my progress or help me avoid pitfalls that I otherwise would have hit if it were just me trialing and erroring my way to a successful business. Yeah. So you can actually take that, you know, that narrowed focus online. Cause right now, none of us are going to conferences, hopefully, you know, maybe later next year, some of those will come back, but in the meantime, it's all online communities. And so we're like, okay, let me go network everywhere. And just showing up on Twitter is going to be the equivalent of going to that chamber of commerce event where it's so scattered and random and not targeted and focused. And so what you could do instead is say, join a community that is very focused on the types of people that you want to meet and the network that you want to build. So for example, if you were to go to Indie Hackers and go to that community and say, okay, I want to know everyone there, then instead of saying, I'm going to set aside time to build relationships, or I'm going to fill in the time and you know, reading all this content, you might say, I'm going to set a goal to contribute in a useful way to five indie hackers threads every week. 
right? And so then you're showing up and saying like, okay, what value could I provide here? Um, Because there's probably a lot of people saying, hey, I'd love feedback on uh, my startup idea. I've got this landing page out, you know, how can I make it better? You know, and so no matter what level of experience you have, like you might come in and say, hey, as a total beginner to this space, here's what I noticed first, right? And that's providing value, even though you don't have expertise there. And if you narrow that in on one, one topic or community, then you'll become known there, develop friends. Also try to take it to another, another media type, right? So if the community that you're in doesn't already do meetups, maybe become known in that community for, you know, providing a lot of value over the say three months and then say, Hey, who wants to do a mastermind on this topic or who wants to do a Friday hangout? Cause we're all stuck at home and we don't have coworkers to jump on a zoom call with. And so let's do a Friday hangout where we just, you know, riff on what's going on and um, business in the community. And, and you'd be become known by facilitating that. So that's kind of the right. first thing. The next one that I want to talk about is actually making things. And I, I know it sounds obvious, but I want to highlight this as a very high leverage activity because it's the thing that builds your relationship, or sorry, it builds your reputation. And if you want to network and get to know people or have people reach out to you, then the things that you make and put out there publicly are the most important because people go from, you're a random person on the internet to, oh, you're the guy who made this thing. Or when they click through to, on your bio on whether it's indie hackers or Twitter or some other community, you know, they're going to see like, oh, you made this thing. That is your resume that lends um, credibility. And so definitely put in the time to make things and uh, put it out there, even if it's random side projects or just things for fun, um, because it's going to go a long ways. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, There's, it's always feels like this magic transition that happens when you go from being the person reaching out to other people reaching out to you. And I think this is the key thing. I mean, really the, the three kind of core values that, that you embraced as a creator and brought over to ConvertKit of working in public, teaching everything you know, and whatever the third one was. Create every day. Cla- classic case of, uh, it's always the last one, <laughs> yeah. regardless of what order they're in. But yeah, create every day. Those were kind of the things to follow if you want to be the person others are reaching out to. Because if you have no profile, then it's not possible for anyone to want to reach out to you, right? On the Twitter thing, coming back to this, right? Because you have to be able to share. It's not, it's not enough to make. You also have to share what you make in a way that gets it in front of people. And coming back to the Twitter thing, like being a maker versus consumer on the app, I would love a situation where, like I would love an interface of Twitter where I can only write tweets or check my mentions. Yes. That's all I want. Because really those are the two functions that number one, gain you followers and number two, encourage engagement. Now you can go the other way if you're consuming and responding and being an engager, that's great too. But like, I don't really need to respond to your tweets or James Clear's tweets in order for my following to grow. That's one way potentially, but it's really just a hack when I could be doing much higher leverage of like creating tweets and ideally creating tweets in a vacuum of a written document where I just have a character count and I can post them later. Anyways, so coming back to really focusing on how you're spending your time, not doing it passively, but doing it intentionally. So for example, a lot of people will say only log into email if you're going to respond to the emails. Well, I would say a similar thing for something like a Twitter where only log in if you're going there to post something. 
don't log in if you're going there and mindlessly scroll because you're wasting precious time. Mm -hmm. Unless it's like you're done for the day and you want to just kind of mess around and see what's going on. Yeah. Well, then you're being you're being deliberate about it. Kind of the last point that I want to make is you brought up brought this up with the work in public is sharing your process. So you already did the work and it had a certain amount of leverage. Maybe it made X amount of sales. Um, maybe it was for a client, whatever else, right? Now, by sharing the process and talking about what you made and why you made it and the decisions that you made, that adds all of this leverage to it. So if we take um, our coworker, Charlie, she's been doing all of this design work, both at a whole series of startups before ConvertKit and then now at ConvertKit. And that has a certain amount of leverage. She puts in this activity, she gets paid you know, a, a salary for it. But then she added another layer of leverage to that by talking about it publicly on YouTube and building it into this YouTube channel that's followed by, you know, coming up on 200,000 people. And that's opened up, you know, both more revenue and then a huge number of relationships and other opportunities. And it was more things to make. So it wasn't easy by any means. But a lot of it is talking about like, this is what I designed this week. This is what I learned, you know? And so when you do that in and take this work in public approach, it immediately increases the leverage. And so don't just think that I have to make things in order to get leverage. Also look at the things that you're making on a consistent basis and say, okay, where can I share and talk about these publicly in order to uh, get a whole lot more leverage? And use that lens to evaluate everything that you spend your time on. Okay, this is the task that I'm about to do. What's the high leverage version of this task? And so a classic example would be, okay, I'm going to answer questions in my inbox because having a relationship with my readers is something that I like to do. That's not very high leverage. I still want to do it. Wait, a podcast, you know, uh, like Ask Pat that Pat Flynn does, that is taking his low leverage activity and turning it into a high leverage activity. That's a big part of the reason that we do Q&A Friday on this show. I get far fewer questions in my inbox now than I did before because they all get directed to the podcast where I can answer them for hundreds of people at a time instead of a single person. Yeah, totally. Um, I was going to say something about showing your work, but I want to answer a question that one of our listeners asked uh, before we we wrap up here. He said, as a new creator, I think it's worthwhile spending proper time on the low scale, low leverage work before handing it off. It gives you an intimate understanding of what's required. Thoughts? I have kind of like two things I would say here. One is there's no inherent value in doing low leverage work. There's only value in doing low leverage work if it's cre- if it helps you create leverage later. So um, let me give an example. If you are a new creator and you have never, or like you want to be a designer, let's say, another one of our listeners, Teddy's on the show. Well, yes, you need to just spend time in whatever design tool you're using, Envision, Sketch, Photoshop, if you're old school like Nathan. Um, you know, you need to just like do what appears to be very low leverage stuff, which is mess around until you're comfortable in the tool, just make random things. But that goes back to your point, Nathan, which is if you're going to mess around in a tool to build a skill that leads to leverage later, you might as well make stuff that you can then share. So Teddy is a great example of this. Teddy was listening to something that we made and then also reading something that one of our other friends made, a design course. And at the intersection of the two, he made a landing page for my paid newsletter and just shared it as an example of practicing design principles on Twitter. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I need a landing page. Hey, Teddy, can I pay you to do that? Because I need that thing. That He wasn't doing it for that reason. 
Uh, maybe some part of him hoped that like he could get me as a client and that would be a good example for him. But in the process of messing around learning design principles, upping his game, which could be low leverage if he were doing it quietly and for himself, he shared something and it was a particular thing that was valuable and he created leverage for himself. So I think there's almost always a way to create leverage. And when there's not, I would ask yourself, is this going to lead to more leverage later? So if it's skill acquisition today, for example, like I have 42 paid subscribers on my newsletter. I don't get enough questions that I need to have a podcast answering questions. So it's high leverage for me to spend the 12 minutes a week or whatever it takes to thoughtfully answer those emails from readers because that can lead to more readers. And then there's going to be a point in the tipping scale where it no longer makes sense to do that because I've got enough readers that I don't have time. And now I need to find another mechanism for it. So understanding where you're at and where leverage actually comes from at each stage is valuable. That's good. I think that's probably a good place to leave it. Um, the last thought that I had is just the example with Teddy is so perfect because it's at the intersection of all of these things. It is both relationship building through creating and sharing your process all at the same time. And that's, you know, what you're finding all across the board is one of these activities, if combined with the other ones, just continues to multiply the leverage. Yep. Creator of the day. I'm going to uh, go with someone that I'm sure we've talked about before because it's someone that Barrett, you've been a fan of for years. Uh, and that is Amy Vitale. I, so she's an incredible photographer um, for National Geographic and has done so many amazing, you know, stories and covered so much. I'm going to talk about this right here because I just got a chance over the weekend to sit down and watch it, even though it came out a week ago. Uh, and that's her ConvertKit creator session. You can find it at youtube.com slash ConvertKit. And it's it's so good. I sat down and watched it with my kids. They loved it. They're not really into watching. I mean, it's effectively a documentary. And, you know, that, like, they would prefer to watch, I don't know, something different. <laughs> Dino Trucks is a show that they like right now. <laughs> so, you know... But they sat down and they just watched the whole thing start to finish. And you could just see them thinking and then the questions they asked afterwards. I mean, it's it's powerful. They were asking questions about poaching, about war, about a bunch of things. And man, uh, and then photography. They were asking questions about photography. And I was like, this is great. I'm just watching a story of, of a woman really pursuing her dreams and you know having a big impact on the world because of it. Yep. 100%. Love uh, Amy's work. Okay. My creator of the day today, in my head, I say it as Ernest Kleene, but it might just be Klein. I think it's, I think it's I don't just Klein. Okay, <laughs> great. Um, anyways, he his second book, Ready Player Two, or third book, sorry, Ready Player Two, just came out like this past weekend or week. His first book, Ready Player One, was the first book I had probably pick up, picked up in 10 years that I literally could not put down. I think it took me like 48, maybe 72 hours to finish. And I slept very little in between all of that because of how much I loved it. Anyways, uh, Ernest is a great writer. He is a complete like 80s, early 90s video game, pop culture kind of nerd. And it all factors into these stories that he writes. Ready Player One is a movie. I wouldn't quite call him sci-fi. I don't know. There's somewhere in that kind yeah. of like sci-fi-ish realm. But Ready Player One, the movie, was also one of the first film adaptations of a beloved book of mine that did not let me down. I really actually enjoyed it quite a bit. So anyways, Ernest's work is great. His new book is good so far. I won't give a full review because I haven't read it all yet. 
Um, but I love it. It's it's very good. Sounds good. Um, if you're just looking for some a great TV show to watch, it's going to be my resource of the day, and that is For All Mankind. Oh, season two is coming out soon. I didn't even know that. Um, I'm about two thirds of the way through it, and basically, uh, it is a space show, and it's set. Uh, it's an alternate reality of like basically the space race uh, in the '60s, and what if it kept going? And so it's this whole thing with the Soviets. The show starts with the Soviets being the first ones to land on the moon. And then it just goes on from there. Uh, it's this interesting mix of real characters from history. And then this, you know, story that they, it's just like, it, it took a little branch and went a different direction. And then they um, tell a very realistic story. So I definitely check it out on Apple TV. Love it. Uh, I think I've talked about this before, but my resource of the day is personalized note cards uh, or stationery. You don't even have to get personalized ones. Honestly, you could just order a hundred birthday cards, generic birthday cards. And the resource piece of it is number one, create a list of the 150 people who most matter to you in life, who you want to maintain relationships with. Cause it's one thing to create leverage by forming relationships. It is an entirely other thing to uh, create leverage by maintaining relationships. And it's very challenging to do. And I find that you can become known as a certain type of person by just caring enough to maintain relationships. One thing that I have ambition to do that I've been not as good at this year as I would like to be is writing a birthday card to each person on my list of people that I want to maintain relationships with. And it's not like I just write a note card. It's got my name on it. Doesn't it? I, I write happy birthday. It doesn't say happy birthday on it, but I find just a personal note saying why you care about someone, what you admire about them and what you hope for in the year ahead is an incredible way to make people feel loved and appreciated. We so rarely get physical mail that we actually want, <laughs> yes. number one. So that stands out. And number two, it makes people feel very cared for that, you know, a Facebook post, like Facebook is the impetus for you doing that. It tells right. you on the day of, and you write it. Next best thing is a text. Cause you had to go at least from Facebook to text to do it, but maybe you even remembered on your own. A phone call would be next. A note means you thought about their birthday seven to 10 days in advance and got them a note in the mail. Um, anyways, things like that create a lot of relationship capital that pays a lot of dividends over time. Uh, and so it's not, you're not spending $150 on stationery and like, it's not a cost. It's a big investment in the relationships you most care about. And I would highly recommend it. Yeah, I agree. I'm just, I'll show the backs you know, of all these envelopes so that I don't give away any addresses, but you know, I do the same thing. And you turn it into a system of like, if you buy all the cards in one batch and then just sit down and write, you know, X number a month and just say, oh, these are the ones I need to write for the month of December. Um, it's really pretty straightforward. I do all of mine for the ConvertKit team rather than for friends and family, but I should expand and do friends and family as well. I know you'll love that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's it for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll see you all. We'll, we will not be here on Friday but uh, some other ConvertKit team members will take over. All right, that's it. See ya. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Future Belongs to Creators. If you didn't pick it up from the show, we make a tool called ConvertKit, where we're on a mission to help creators earn a living by building software that helps you build an audience of loyal fans. If you want to give ConvertKit a try, you can go to landingpage.new to launch your next creative project. You'll be able to build a landing page and send emails for up to 500 subscribers totally for free. So again, that's landingpage.new. You can get started with your free ConvertKit account today. Yeah.